Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I speak with Rain Carnegie, a former hockey player and current mentorship coach. Rain is the grandson of Herb Carnegie, a well-known name in the hockey world because of his show-stopping talent, but inability to play in the NHL because of the color of his skin. Rain and I speak about the importance of second chances, honesty, and hard work, but also about the barriers that are still being broken down in the sporting world when it comes to race equality. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Rain Carnegie. Okay, so I'm happy to welcome Rain today. So welcome, Rain. Hello. Hi, Leah. Thank you for having me on the Can't Hang podcast. Yeah, of course. I've actually, this is actually a funny story. So I had another Rain on um, whose episode will be coming out prior to yours. And I've actually never met someone named Rain ever. (laughs) Um, And then I had two in one week. So it's pretty crazy. Oh, man. That's, I've, I've never known anybody by the same name as myself so so i'd be intrigued to listen to that uh, episode yeah no she's really cool it's a girl she's really cool how does she Um, how does she spell her name um it's different so it's r-a-i-n-e and so similar but a little bit yeah that's funny because my mother uh, had said that my name would still be rain if i was a if i was a woman um and oh that's funny it would be spelled the exact same way as what you just said Oh, wow. Okay. That's awesome. I, I always love a good androgynous name. So, um, love that anyway. So that was just kind of a fun tidbit, um, and something crazy that happened to me this week. So anyway, we'll get started on your story specifically. Uh, so starting from the beginning, you've done some incredible things, but let's take it back to the beginning, uh, go back to your growing up. So, uh, you had a cool, I would say cool childhood. You grew up in company of some incredible people. And I I imagine that you maybe didn't know that at the time, but as you've grown up, maybe you kind of came to that realization. Um, So can you kind of tell me about, uh, about growing up? Yeah. So I was uh, born and raised in the Jane and Finch community uh, to a single mom, two sisters, uh, Rochelle is my mother. My sisters are Tamu and Kalima. Uh, and sports was, you know, something that kept me uh, away from running rampant on the streets and getting into shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I happened to excel in a few different sports, one of them being hockey, um, like my grandfather, Herb Carnegie, um, who I'm not sure if you're aware or if your listeners are aware, uh, is a pretty uh, well-known figure in Canadian history, um, should have been one of the first black hockey players in the NHL, should have been the first, not one of, he should have been the first, but because of systemic racism of that era in the 40s and 50s, it made it extremely difficult for my grandfather to, to realize that dream. Um, but shortly after um, growing up in Jane and Finch and 
you know, uh, trying to uh, mature, as they say. I was fortunate enough. Uh, my mom was working for the NDP at the time when Bob Ray was the premier. And okay. um, one of her co-workers was a woman by the name of Anna Lopez. Anna Lopez is my godmother. Shout out to Anna Lopez and her husband, Don Tapscott, my godfather. Um, which is a big deal. <laughs> which is, they're cool people. <laughs> they're, they're, they're extremely uh, cool people. And uh, they have given me so much to be thankful for and open my uh, open my life to a world that I, I, I wouldn't necessarily have come into contact with. Um, but uh, I, I've been fortunate and blessed to have those two people as well as their kids and now their grandkids uh, in my life to a certain extent. And then uh, obviously I flourished in, 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 in hockey. I was drafted in the first round uh, of the Ontario Hockey League, uh, played three years in the OHL, and then I moved to Halifax and lived with my sister, who's an RCMP police officer. Oh, wow. And was the captain of the Halifax Moose Teds, uh, and then met my wife. And we got pregnant, and my professional career uh, dwindled off because my wife didn't want to raise a non-Canadian kid. So I had to, <laughs> you know, I had to pick my family over uh, over my pipe dreams of, of being a professional hockey player. I wasn't making NHL money by any stretch of the imagination. So it was time for me to reestablish our roots and, um, you know, grow up and, and, and leave and, and, and live a life that, uh, is sustainable. And yeah, absolutely. So for those who aren't from the GTA greater Toronto area, I want to jump back a little bit because growing up in Jane and Finch, like I don't personally have like any connection to that area, but like, um, let's say I'm watching like the news CP 24, like not great stuff happens in that community. And obviously, um, I think you're underestimating yourself a little bit here, like to kind of flourish out of that community is few and far between no doubt. So, uh, so the Jane and Finch community, to be honest with you, it's gotten a lot of uh, negative publicity in the last while. Um, separately mm-hmm, like bad rap. Yeah, it has a bad rap. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's been a lot of gun violence. I have, I, have, I have some friends that are still in the community that are trying to, you know, make a difference. Mm-hmm. And, and um, to be honest, when I was growing up and living in the Jana Finch community, the stories that I read about today, it's like another world. Okay. My upbringing in Jane and Finch, I actually felt more secure and safe in Jane and Finch than I felt anywhere else that I've lived, even to this day right now. Oh, wow. But but when you hear these stories that uh, all this gun violence that's been going on, um, it's disheartening. Um, it's scary. Um, but it's mm-hmm. not... It wasn't what my reality was. Obviously, you're going to have um, bad pockets everywhere and you're going to have individuals that, you know, resort to violence uh, instead of using, you know, uh, diplomacy and mm-hmm, for sure. and, and words. Um, and it's unfortunate uh, and it's a tragedy, you know, and mm-hmm. um, you're right. There, there aren't a lot of um positive stories that that come out of that community on a consistent basis or 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 even um on an ad hoc basis um and it is difficult when you know uh, you get fed all of this uh news from the media um that makes it very difficult for you to see any positivity out of a situation that's so tragic right so mm-hmm. um coming out of the jane and finch community 
I never looked at it as I made it or my sister mm-hmm. never looked at it as, oh my God, I can't believe I'm an RCMP police officer. Uh, my, yeah. my mom was working in the highest office in Ontario, living in the Jane and Finch community. So my experiences right. living in the Jane and Finch community um, wasn't one where I was like, I need to move out of here to be successful because I saw the success and mm-hmm. the shoulders that we were able to rub while living in Jane and Finch with some of the most affluential people uh, in Ontario at that time. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you say that because I kind of think that that is a perfect embodiment of what I'm trying to do, I guess. It's like, I wouldn't have ever known that. So I'm glad that you're um, you're telling me all of that because I always just associate things in my lifetime um, that it's always been. Um, and that's always the way that it will be and, and all the, always the way that it's been in those areas, but you're right that that's not the case. So I'm so glad that you corrected me on that. And that's why I like connecting with different people. And in, in, in part of this journey that I'm on right now, one of the things that I talk about often is that um, you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. You know, so education is key. And I'm not talking about necessarily school education. I'm talking about uh, before casting judgment on something without getting the full facts, without doing your own due diligence, uh, just to go by what we read by somebody else's opinion or what we hear from somebody else's experience doesn't necessarily mean that that could be your experience. Somebody else's experience is just that it's theirs. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm not taking um sides or or saying that what people are writing about or talking about is inaccurate. I'm taking the complete opposite. I'm just saying my experience uh, is is completely different than some of the things that I've read. Not to say that some of the things that I've read aren't true because um, I have friends that are that are in the Jane and Finch community that that talk that it's a real pandemic. They call it a, a, a gundemic, you know, um, and, and how scary it is. You know, I have friends there that have children that are asking to move out of the neighborhood. Um, and and it's 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 scary. You know, life is life is scary, um, but we have to stay strong. And it takes it takes a village to change the world, um, but one person at a time creates that village, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, my goal with what I'm trying to do right now is just to be that conduit between um, negativity and positivity, and, and and try to keep everybody together, grounded. Um, I continuously say this: we don't have to be the the mistakes that we make over and over and over again. Eventually, we can be the lessons that we've learned from those mistakes that we made over and over again. Um, and today has to be somebody's day one. Why can't it be today? Yeah. Oh, that's such a great quote. I love that. Thank you. Um, so we'll definitely get to your uh, more recent work uh, <laughs> in a second here. Um, and I'm glad you kind of brought all of that up. But I guess I kind of want to like take it to a superficial level for a second um, and talk about your hockey career because I think it is really important to understand um, your experiences in the sporting world to get to where you are now. So um, obviously you were a first round draft pick in the OHL for those who aren't familiar with this. Um, I guess growing up in a hockey community, um, this was, was always like a big deal. Like the guys at your high school or whatever, um, you're like, Oh my God, they're a first round draft pick. Like so cool. And like, they're for sure going to go to the NHL. Like whatever. And obviously I'm not going to discount that. That's so cool. Right. Um, and it's such a big deal. Um, so that's kind of the start of your 
hockey, I guess, professional, semi-professional hockey career. Um, And then, but I do actually want to jump forward a little bit to playing in Halifax because I guess it is one of your highlights of your hockey career. And I love Halifax. It's like such a (laughs) special place in my heart. So can you kind of tell me a bit about your um, time playing hockey there? Yeah. So um, like you said, uh, you weren't the only one that thought when I got drafted in the first round, (laughs) I was a shoo-in to be in the NHL. Uh, When I I heard my name called um, in the OHL draft in the first round, I thought that it was the the first step and and the right step towards realizing my goal of playing uh, in the NHL and getting drafted to the NHL. Unfortunately, neither of those things happened. But in, in, in going through my hockey career, uh, my junior hockey career, uh, a couple of things happened. One was um, I felt entitled. Um, so I was the first one to leave the ice after practice instead of putting in the extra work. Um, and, and that's something that I'm going to have to live with for the rest of my life. And the other thing that, that happened was you get painted with the brush of being, and I just did an interview uh, a couple days ago uh, with, with, uh, with a gentleman that was talking about one of the first things that he had heard about me when I moved from the OHL to Halifax and he was up in the press box and somebody was talking, he was a reporter in Moncton and somebody was talking about, yeah, I heard that that Carnegie kid was a bad apple. And one of the things that, um, I can I can say for certain is I've always been a good person. Um, I've done some immature things, you know, like a lot of teenagers do. <laughs> Haven't we all? And like a lot of teenagers do. But I was always, you know, wanting the best for my teammates, wanting the best for myself, wanting the best for uh, the fans and the community. Um, but you know, I got sent home uh, from Plymouth. Uh, when I was 18 years old uh, for having a team party uh, at my new billets house where I was uh, just moved in there with one of my teammates who had lived there for three years and um, having a team party and and at a team party, there's going to be unfortunately underage drinking. And there's also going to be in my experience anyways, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, marijuana. So um, I was uh, a participant in, in smoking some of the marijuana and, you know, my billets found out that there were people smoking marijuana and I was the scapegoat. I, I had my, I'd say probably 75% over 75% of my team over there. Um, and probably of the 75% of the team that was there, at least 25% of us were smoking weed, but I was the only one that, you know, got treated differently. I got suspended, sent home, uh, cast away to the to the to, to the side. So when when that happened, I was living um, couch to couch, couch surfing between my grandparents with my mom, uh, a few friends of mine at that time, and waiting to be called back to go to Plymouth. Uh, they told me that they were sending me home, but they'd bring me back up in a couple of weeks. Plymouth ended up going on a winning streak. They gave me a call back saying that uh, we'll give you a call back in a week from now, but we're going to start the, the the playoffs with the lineup that's won these games since you've been gone. I thought for sure I was going to be coming back. Didn't. 
I forgot to mention that Plymouth also sent me home for the two weeks, what I thought was going to be two weeks without a hockey bag. They sent me home with a garbage bag with no skate guards on my skates. My skates went through the garbage bag, stuff all over the place. And long story short, I'm home. Playoffs are starting. Plymouth gets swept in the first round by Kitchener Rangers, four straight. I was the happiest person in the world. That's the first time <laughs> in my hockey career that I actually wanted my team not to do well. <laughs> yeah. um, and 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 sure sure enough, they, they lose in the first round, four straight, happier than a pig in mud. Uh, I was, even though I was living on the couches and unsure of what my <laughs> hockey journey was going to be for the following season. And Plymouth mm-hmm. calls me back and tells me that they've thought about it. They're going to bring me back the following year. Um, come back to training camp, but I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to have random drug tests throughout the course of the season. I would have a curfew and I would have to see a counselor. Mm. And I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm not, I am not, you know, you are already, you already threw me under the bus, uh, mm-hmm. made me out to be this, this, this horrible person. Yeah. Um, and now you want me to come back under the microscope when 25% of the 75% that were at that party were smoking weed and nobody else has these restrictions except for me. And you sent me home with a garbage bag, not even a, not even a hockey bag. Um, so, so my sister um, and I are really close, both my sisters and I are really close. And she was an RCMP police officer out in Halifax, still, still is. And she was talking with her husband, my brother-in-law, Mike, and, um, offered for me to have some stability instead of couch surfing and, you know, being miserable, what's going on with my hockey career. Like I'm never going to make it to the NHL. It was a, it was a, it was a a very difficult time for a young person uh, to be going through, especially to be going through, at you know, friends houses when you don't have, unfortunately, my mom uh, was in a difficult place financially and couldn't afford her own Mm -hmm. place. So my grandparents took her in and, you know, so I, I here I am at the the most difficult time in my young career, uh, without having a stabilizing place for me to go, uh, yeah. to regain my composure and refocus and to get some clarity. And fortunately for me, my sister and her husband offered me that opportunity to move in with them in Halifax. They had a young family, uh, just new twin boys. <laughs> and, oh, God, wow. <laughs> and, uh, they're out this Kyler. So Kyler is two years older than the twin boys, uh, Blair and Trevor. Uh, oh, my so God. Here I, here I am, um, this this punk, for lack of a better word, moving to Halifax <laughs> uh, with this brand new family um, and uh, when I when I looked at the roster and looked at what my my options were, there was a name on that roster that I had known, and I had no idea of the Halifax Mooseheads other than they were a team in the Quebec Junior Hockey League because um, mm-hmm. I was an Ontario Hockey League guy, right? And, and when you're yeah. when mm-hmm. when you're in the OHL, you think that you're in the best league in the world, and the WHL and the Quebec Junior Hockey League are second fiddle and third fiddle, and it's, yeah. And, and and when you're in the WHL, you think the same, and when you're in the Quebec Junior <laughs> Hockey League, you think the same. So I had no, yeah. At least in my in my in my perspective, I had no idea. Uh, what opportunities might be in Halifax other than there was stability with my sister and her family. And then I was fortunate enough. um, One of the players on their team was a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Sherrill, who we played summer and spring hockey with for, I don't know, six years. And um, he was on the team. So I reached out to him on Facebook 
um, to see if there was an opportunity for me to get on the ice in Halifax, mm -hmm. not to necessarily play for the Mooseheads, but like here I am in the summer, it's the off season yeah. and I want to play hockey. Um, and he got me out there and, uh, he's like, Rain, why don't we try to get you on the team here? I'm like, well, at this point, Plymouth had traded my rights to Kingston, um, in, in the OHL, the Kingston Frontenacs. And I didn't want to come. I, I felt like, um, I would stick out like a sore thumb. Um, I just wanted a clean slate. So I, mm -hmm. I told Kingston that I wasn't going to report. I was going to just play tier two. You know, because without getting a release from the Ontario Hockey League, you couldn't play in any other league unless it wasn't okay. unless it was an inferior league. So I was oh, gotcha. I was going to okay. play Junior A in the Maritimes, <clears throat> but I was fortunate enough that Jimmy Sherrill got uh, the general manager at the time, Marcel Patineau, uh, for the Halifax Mooseheads to come to a skate with the head coach at the time, Sean McKenzie. They liked what they saw and believed in me and made a strong push to get my release and acquire my rights from the Ontario Hockey League. And my two years in Halifax <clears throat> were easily by far um, the highlights of my hockey career. Um, being able to uh, feel the support from not only um, the fans who, you know, um, I, had a, <laughs> I had a love affair for, <laughs> wanted to put on a show. Uh, oh, yeah. But my teammates, um, were, were some of the special, the most special teammates I've ever had. Um, and then and then also the support staff that they had there, the coaching staff, starting with Sean McKenzie, then Al McAdam after we replaced Sean McKenzie, Chris Donnelly, um, Chris McDonald, McQuaid, all the boys back in Halifax. And, and that was the best hockey that I've ever played. Mm -hmm. I feel like that whole league, I guess I can't speak from a firsthand perspective, but from what I've heard is like, you're right. The fans are like wild. Like, I feel like they just live for that. Um, so if you're someone that thrives off of that, that obviously adds just a whole new like element to your game that, uh, you know, you might not get here in Ontario because of the just vast amount of hockey teams that we have to offer uh you know there's so many opportunities to watch good hockey here and out there it's not quite the same so so i uh, I, I think that uh if, if if my memory serves me correctly you go to western or went to western i went to western yeah okay so western <laughs> is in london correct mm -hmm, yeah. so you guys have the london knights Yes. Yeah. The London Knights are like the biggest ticket in the Ontario Hockey League. They get what, seven, eight, nine thousand fans a game or something? Massive. Yes. So, like packed every game. So, so the way that I explain it for people that don't know about the Quebec Junior Hockey League, when I was playing in Halifax, and I think it's still like that, uh, uh, pre pandemic, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, where Halifax was like the London Knights of the Ontario Hockey League, sold at okay. like great arena, uh, mm -hmm. eight thousand fans a night, and mm -hmm. there were no other professional teams. There were other there were other good schools, St. Mary's, Dalhousie, and the like. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms for hockey, there's no AHL, there's no NHL, there's no East Coast Hockey League. There's either the Halifax Moosets or one of the university teams. University mm -hmm. arenas don't have the same kind of seating capacity uh, mm -hmm. as, as junior arenas, or at least that arena in Halifax for sure. Yeah. And, and um, also, 
when you're playing junior hockey, it's a chance to see tomorrow's NHL superstars. Uh, whereas when you go to a, a university game in Canada, it tends to be with kids that um, played junior first that didn't go professional that are chasing their education um, or whatever else that they're trying to um, get on with their lives. So to speak. Yeah. so it's, it's a totally different atmosphere. So when you're playing for the Halifax Moose sets, it's kind of like, Holy sh! Holy crap! This is, <laughs> you know, like I have to get used to this, you know, and it, yeah. it's like, wow! Like if you to put to you to put in perspective, when I played in Halifax, I just thought that the the size of the crowds were going to get bigger and bigger for my hockey career. Um, <laughs> Halifax was the highlight. <laughs> so, um, yeah. other than when I played a couple games in the AHL for the playoffs, when they I think they had. I don't know, eight, 9,000 fans or something like that. Not much more, but to play consistently in front of a sold out, uh, yeah. fan base was, was pretty, pretty, uh, amazing and special to me. Yeah, no, that's so cool. And, um, you're right. It's just, it's so interesting, uh, coming from Ontario, going somewhere like that, uh, and, and you're right. That's the top level of hockey that they're seeing. Potentially, the best players, arguably, um, that they're going to see. We could go to a Leafs game. Like I could either choose to go to a, I guess, living in Oshawa or Whippy right now. I could go to a Generals game, or I could go to like a UIT game, or I could go to a Leafs game. Um, but that, like, that's like the big ticket. Um, every like you're you're kind of a celebrity. I feel like in those type of places. Um, and, and that's and, and that's where you know the the rubber hits the road right is <laughs> yeah um you're treated like uh a celebrity um and for me that was one of the things that i had difficulty navigating right so it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. like the do you want me to pop your head before you walk through the door so you can fit type thing you know yeah. so, um i i was i was spoiled in halifax mm-hmm. i was definitely spoiled you know, I have nothing but great things to say. I just wish that I had known then what I know now. Uh, and maybe my hockey career would have been a little bit more um, successful. Mm-hmm. But I do love a good second chance. So yes. um, the fact that you were able to, you know, like, I feel like after coming back from Plymouth, you probably weren't sure if you even were going to have a continuing hockey career. And obviously, that's always the hope that you will. But um, there is a bit of uncertainty there when you're not really sure what your next turn is. So um, to have your next experience be your best one, I think that's that's really special. Yeah, and and, and Lily, you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I had no idea what to expect when I moved to Halifax mm-hmm. other than stability with my sister and her family. Mm-hmm. Everything that happened thereafter was just a blessing. You know, it, it, rejuvenate, it rejuvenated me, uh, gave me uh, wind beneath my wings, you know, um, helped give me hope. I thought my career was over when Plymouth sent me home, you know, yes. and um, to be given that opportunity, I could have went to a, a lot of different teams, you know, um, I could have, my sister could have lived a lot of different places. I mean, yeah. they, there may not have been a team. I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those um, situations that, that I was in, even when they were bleak, my grandfather used to always say, in every negative, there's a positive. You just have to look hard for one, right? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that now with reflection, 
uh, I can see some of those negative situations that I was in, some situations that I put myself in, um, and others that I had no control over, um, but they've made me the person that I am today, and I'm, I'm forever thankful for those. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at some point, you decide uh, to go play in Europe, which is uh, like so cool. I, I feel like that's obviously the NHL is its own thing, but I feel like playing in Europe, like you get like the ultimate living, uh, cool <laughs> cultural experiences, you know, like, I feel like you get like a bit more like, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's like personality capital or like yeah. uh, character yeah. capital is what I'm thinking of. Like you just are wide open to the world doing like your favorite thing that you love to do, uh, and, and living in these incredible places. So yeah, that's obviously got to be a highlight in its own right. I, so when I was done playing in Halifax, um, with the year that I had, um, I thought that I deserved an opportunity to play hockey at the next level. Like mm-hmm. some of my co, uh, my, my teammates that, that played on the same teams as me were given those opportunities. And, um, when those weren't presented to themselves, to, to when those weren't presented to me, those opportunities to continue my career in North America, uh, to satisfaction that I thought, you know, was worth my time and energy. Right, I'm trying to make make it as a hockey player for a living, or so I thought. Um, and um, when those options didn't seem viable to me. Um, and the opportunity to uh, go overseas for more money than I would have been making playing in the East Coast Hockey League or the Central Hockey League. It was just like, well, why, why, why wouldn't you do that? You know, so um, I was fortunate enough to catch on with a European agent who got me an opportunity to play uh, for a team in France, uh, which was oh. like 30 minutes away from Paris. So I was, I wouldn't have, I got to see the Eiffel Tower on more than one occasion in the Louvre. And, you know, I, I, I got to uh, go to Barcelona uh, to play uh, hockey. I, I, I've been to Sweden. I've been to Finland. I've been to the South of France, you know, and, and, to be given those opportunities um, to, at, at the time, I didn't appreciate it other than this is just a stop for me to play hockey and to, to mm-hmm. prove myself and um, hopefully get noticed here to, to, you know, get to the next level, wherever that may be. But now looking back on it, it's just like, holy crap, I've, I've been to Sweden. I lived there. You know, I, I lived in I lived in Finland. I won a championship in Finland. Uh, I've lived in France, but I can only understand French. I can barely speak it. You know, I went back junior hockey league. Like one of those things I wish that I would have done is is picked up the language a little bit better, even though I was living in Halifax. But I wish I would have had like one of my best friends on the team be not Jimmy Sherrill and be one of my one of my French teammates so they could teach me a little bit more. Uh, yeah. But um, it was just, you know, an opportunity uh, that now looking back on it is pretty cool. You know, uh, yeah. with this pandemic, who knows when you can travel again? I have pictures and memories that hopefully will last a lifetime and uh, stories that I can share with my children. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned earlier, um, your wife is like, nope, like we're raising Canadian kids, which I, yeah, I respect (laughs) that. (laughs) I would totally be the same. Um, So you decide to retire from hockey, uh, move back to Canada. Obviously you become a father. Um, 
So how did that retirement, I know this is a difficult topic for athletes because it's almost like that term like NARP like non-athletic regular person like do you feel like that like I was like I feel like so many of my friends going into their quote-unquote retirement from whatever sport they may be in non-athletic retired person NARP have you never heard this I've never ever oh ever that is yeah fantastic yeah. I'm gonna have, yeah. to, I'm so, gonna have to, uh, coin that phrase from you yeah, for sure. So it's, yeah, it's something that we all say like, oh, you're such a NARP now. Like you're just a regular person. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe you never heard this. That's so oh funny. Oh my God. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely there is withdrawal, right? The yeah. long time you've been, uh, you know, flown around the world to go play a sport. You've been catered to meals after meals before you've been billeted. Mm -hmm. Your billets make your meals, the whole kid and caboodle. You have to sign autographs. I coming from minor hockey to junior hockey, let alone pro. Uh, when I had to sign my first autograph, I was just like, what am I, what do I do? And then I had to start practicing my, my signatures, just like the rest of the rookies on my team, because we've never had to <laughs> sign anything before. Um, so yeah, when you're, when you're done playing, you're just like, holy sh crap, like, what do you do now? And, and, and to make matters yeah. worse, um, because I was so committed but not committed to my hockey career, my education took a backseat. So I didn't even graduate high school. Oh, so, wow. here, so here I am with no high school education. My hockey career is over, not because of an injury, but because I'm having a child out of wedlock with the woman who I met in the off season. So she was just my a girl that we were like, oh, okay. we were seeing at the beginning, right? It was just an off season, mm -hmm. hang out with each other. Then I'd go go away to go play hockey again oh, okay. uh, overseas. And but this time I couldn't because she told me that she was pregnant. And uh, right. I had a decision to make. I could have went back overseas to play hockey or I could give it all up, find a real job nine to five and uh, be uh, a father to this unborn child um, mm -hmm. that I didn't have. You know, I always said to myself that I wanted to be um, the best father possible uh, to, to, to the kids that I had because I didn't have a father in my life, not one that you know, um, showed me any, um, anything other than selfishness and, mm -hmm. um, disappointment and, and, and hurt, you know? So, um, I always said to myself that regardless of, you know, the circumstances that I find myself in when I, when I was whenever somebody became pregnant, whether it was my wife, girlfriend or other, um, that I was going to be the best father to that child that I possibly could be. So when she, when, she, when my wife, now my wife, um, we've been together now for 10 years. Um, mm -hmm. When she told me she was pregnant, it wasn't even like a thought. It wasn't even like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe we should go see a doctor and make sure that, you know, it wasn't even anything like that. It was just like, okay, are you, do, do you want to have the baby? She's just like, yes, I do. And I said, okay, then I guess my hockey career is over. You know, because uh, it's important to me to be there for you and our child. So that's that's what happened. And um, I was scared at the time, though, she was making uh, she had a really good job and she was doing well for herself. And okay. um, so that and, and she had, you know, she had a strong relationship with her with her parents. And um, 
it was it made it made it made my choice a little bit easier uh, mm-hmm. to because like I said I wasn't making NHL money by any stretch of the imagination so it's just like if I could find a job um, and work and work at it uh, you know if I did well with with whatever I was doing at that time that I would be more financially secure and stable in a country where I can speak the language and see, <laughs> and see my mom and my sister who lives here uh, and the rest of my family and friends that live in Toronto or Ontario um, and, and you know, get on with the real world, you know, and raise mm-hmm. my family. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it was a blessing in disguise for sure, it was a disappointment uh, to end my career the way that I the, the way that I did, uh, because I still felt like I had a lot of hockey left in me. Uh, mm-hmm. But my son and my daughter are my two greatest gifts to this world, um, and they're and they're destined to do great things. So everything happens for a reason, like I said. And, yeah. And we were given that baby as a blessing, and. Uh, he's a little bit of a shithead now sometimes, but, <laughs> but I was just going to say, you have two beautiful children now. and like this special thing. And that, <laughs> okay. My, my, that too. <laughs> just a little, just a little, uh, my, my son's three or sorry, in grade three, he's eight. My daughter's six, uh, just mm-hmm. a little plug out to my, to my kids. So my son, mm-hmm. uh, is in a three, four split right now. He's in grade three, so he's in a three-four split with the pandemic. The the school system oh. is trying to be as accommodating to the regulations that are required now mm-hmm. to be safe. And uh, out of the twenty-three students in that class, I believe uh, two two kids got uh, their spelling test completely right out of one hundred and three questions, and my son was one of them. Oh. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool and exciting. I am a spelling nerd. I was always the spelling champ too. I love that. Yeah. So so you got such a nerd for spelling. You got 103 out of 103. Wow. Uh, and my daughter's no slouch either, but she's only in grade one, so hers are 10 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good too. Perfect. 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 Um, I've just been blessed, uh-huh. you know, to to have the wife that I have and 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 the children that we have together. Mm -hmm. that's amazing and I think having a strong family foundation is so important uh in the work that you're doing because obviously the support that you need uh to do this work is is so crucial uh to I guess your activism that you're doing right so um we'll kind of move on a little bit here so um you've started something called own aces sports group um can you kind of walk me through what this is because I think it's really interesting um, and I think that's something that my audience would uh, find really cool. Yeah, so let me just take it a step back quickly. Yeah. So Own Aces um, was founded on the belief that, you know, it's time for us as a society to own up to the mistakes that we've made and in order for us to really move forward, we have to be accountable um, and understand that we all uh, live in glass houses at times. And, mm-hmm. and um, it's okay um, to acknowledge your faults um, in order for us to genuinely believe that you want to be the best version of yourself moving forward. And, and for me, upon my retirement and getting into the financial world, um, one of the things that I got lost with was my, my disease with addiction with cocaine. Um, and 
because of some of the tough lessons that I had to learn in battling through those demons, um, I was a person that would always blame everybody else, you know? Mm. Not me, it's you. I don't have a problem, you have a problem. You're just going to tell me I'm making all this great money, driving all these nice cars, family vacations all over the place, but yet I was not happy. And there's that that adage that that, that, that they say, and I always thought that my mom and my, my grandparents are crazy. Money can't buy you happiness, but it really can't in my experience. You know, it can give you some financial freedom, for sure, that can alleviate some stress, but you know, even when you have all the money in the world, uh, sometimes there's something else that um, is hindering your ability to be great. And mine was the my disease to cocaine. And in finding, I've now been sober uh, for over two years. Uh, oh, congratulations! Thank you very much. And but but this pandemic, you know, I got back into the the financial industry and. Obviously, with the pandemic, I got um, laid off, and unfortunately, uh, mm-hmm. I had to think of, you know, uh, how am I going to find a job during the pandemic? How am I, is, is that, do I want to get back into the industry uh, that does pay well? It's great, but I was never really happy in the industry. Um mm-hmm. I was great at the job. I was, you know, traveling all over the world uh, to to bring on new business for my company, and but I was unhappy, you know. And mm-hmm. it was um, in that realization that, yeah, I could get back into that in- industry, but you're unhappy. That I was like, well, what else am I going to do? And then the George Floyd situation happened, mm-hmm. and I was getting a lot of phone calls. And the Maude Arbery, Brianna Taylor. I was getting a lot of phone calls from my Caucasian friends and family, um, you know, talking about how they could be uh, more helpful or, or show that they're an ally and that they're not just a non-racist, that they're an anti-racist. And I was just like, well, I don't have anything, you know, to other than... See, this is what I've been talking about. You know, I don't have anything that I could give them <laughs> yeah. to, like, you know, help them uh, instead of just doing like a Black Lives Matter post, help them really be what they're looking to be. They want to be an advocate for change. Mm-hmm. And when I was th- doing my own ACES sports group, initially it was um, a hockey school that would teach life lessons through my experiences to my clientele right? Whoever would come, we go through a training program and then I would just be their mentor and talk with them about life. You know, what's troubling them? You know, what are they not confident about? What do they like? Whatever the case may be and, and be a big brother. Right. And, mm-hmm. and give them the tough love that they, they, that we all need sometimes, but also be the shoulder to, to, to cry on if they don't feel safe or comfortable going to their parents, their girlfriend, boyfriend, other going to their friends, whatever their outlet may mm-hmm. be to let them know that here I am wearing my uh, secrets on my sleeve. I like to say, you know, everybody mm-hmm. knows exactly who I am, what I've been through. Um, but, and, and I'm still standing. You know, and I'm trying to make a difference. And um, one of the things that, that that was also upsetting to me that was going on in the community was all of this misinformation and how um, you are now, we are now all 
not fact checking anybody, nor do we care to fact check anybody. Like it's almost cool, in my opinion, to be a liar, which I've always been, than it was to be authentic and to be true. Mm-hmm. And and for me, um, who's who's been a notorious liar, like lied to my wife, lied to my mom, lied to my godparents, lied uh, to my sisters, my friends, my teachers, my coaches, lied to everybody. Mm-hmm. But I see all, all this misinformation on this path that I'm on. Um, I was just like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not cool. Cause I, like, I was that guy that was doing all the misinformation and, and then I found out to be on an Island by myself alone. And while it's okay in theory, um, because you feel like it galvanizes you to have all of these people follow misinformation. It's really, all roads lead to, you know, a lonely island when you go down that path and I was alone and I was hurting and I just wanted more out of the potential that I that I had wasted up until this point um and and I wanted to make a difference and I, and I and I always say to anybody who listens to me if I had a rain carnegie in my life when I was playing hockey in, in junior I'd probably be in the NHL right now mm-hmm. so I just want to keep it real uh, with whoever listens, call out people's stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and, and say, listen, like, stop with it. You know, it's not cool. It's not going to get you anywhere. And you attract more bees with honey than mm-hmm. you do with vinegar. So <laughs> let's just be sweet to each other. You know, let's 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 yeah. all go in the same direction. And it's cool to be true and to be authentic. You don't have to hide behind whatever you're dealing with, whether that's addiction, whether that's sexuality, whether that's religion, whatever the case may be, whoever you are, be that person, be that person. But, 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 but more importantly, be good. I I tell my, my kids this and the students that I work with, if you are a good person and you work hard, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to be successful. If you're not a good person, but you work hard, you're going to have some, uh, you're going to have some opportunities, but you're not going to have a village that's going to help you get to be successful. So it's, it's, it's become abundantly clear to me that you can be a good person, but not a hard worker. And that doesn't really get you where you want to be. <laughs> Those two things in conjunction with each other, that can be, that could be life-changing. Yeah, that's so important. Like your hindsight is, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So uh, the fact that you're able to kind of relay this to other people that um, are still in their foresight, uh, I think that's so crucial because you're right. There are always things that you can improve, but whether whether you can or you can't, you're right. Good, being a good person and working hard, uh, no matter what anyone says, like they can't go wrong with <laughs> with that. You, 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 you just can't because even when I was doing the things that were gray area, and I say that with the uh, air uh, quotation marks, um, <laughs> I knew it was bad. So even even when we say things that we're looking to get a rise out of people or we're trying to we're, we're trying to uh, poke fun at somebody else's expense. The person who's poking fun at somebody else's expense knows before, or they ought to know before they say what they're about to say to get a rise out of that person and out of their audience, that that's either going to be negative or positive, good or bad, you know? And at the end of the day, that's what I mean. Like in order for us to really, really be the avenue to change that we want to see, we have to take a good look and self self self-reflect on, on the, the person or persons that we've been, 
um, and and say, are we, are we truly happy with that? You know, mm-hmm. I've, I've not been a nice person to some people for no other reason than I thought I was being cool to be the bully, you know, mm-hmm. and it's not cool to be the bully. It's not cool to be racist. It's not cool to be sexist. It's not cool to be a liar, a cheater. It's, it's, it's actually quite the opposite. Uh, it's, it's what makes you, in my opinion, um, on an Island by yourself and who wants Mm -hmm. to be on an Island by themselves is we're already on (laughs) an Island by ourselves right now with this pandemic, we yearning for people to hang out (laughs) and and chill with, but let's do it the right way. There's a better way way for us to, uh, be connected with each other, uh, and, to have a fulfilling life. And that's just to be honest with yourself first and foremost, and then be honest with everybody else. And, and if you're not honest with the people that you surround yourself with, do they even know you? Do you know mm-hmm. them? You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, I, I, everybody says I'm transparent to a fault. I'm only transparent because I want everybody to know exactly who I am so that they can make an informed decision if they want to spend their time with me or Mm -hmm. investment with me. So if that makes me transparent to a fault, I'd rather know the, what was the saying? The devil you know is better than the devil you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows me. For sure. Everybody knows me. And uh, I am am this person who uh, is self-made through the tough lessons that I put myself through. I don't want anybody to have to go through those lessons unless they want to, you know, but if they don't want to, I can tell them you don't want to. And here's why and you can live, you can live vicariously through my mistakes and not travel down that path yeah. um, to find success yeah. because you don't need to do what I did to be successful. Quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up this idea of uh, connection because something after uh, all of the turbulence uh, about racism and police brutality, all of these things that kind of were always in in the scope, I guess, but never kind of brought to the forefront um, of our society and our conversations kind of erupted earlier this year. Uh, and this kind of had a profound impact on what you were going to do. So as you mentioned, a lot of your friends were reaching out, what can I do? And I mean... That's very kind. And I think that's important. Um, but sometimes, you know, there has to be an action item. So you created this petition yeah. to induct your grandfather into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, so as I kind of went through and you've kind of spoken about, uh, but we'll get into it a bit deeper. Like, how did you start this? And, and why did you think that this was so important in a year as, you know, turbulent as 2020? So in watching the George Floyd murder, thinking about my grandfather's experience, the Armand Arbery, Breonna Taylor, the list goes on and on. It was, it, it brought me back to, you know, my foundation, my foundation with my grandfather and made me start to think about um, what he endured. And one of the things that was going on in this racial awakening um, was you would see these sports leagues starting to galvanize around their athletes of color. And one of the mm-hmm. leagues that did so was the NHL, you know, with the mm-hmm. Hockey Diversity Alliance and uh, their support for Black Lives Matter and all these new initiatives that they have uh, coming out, which I love, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pro-NHL. Uh, I'm pro-hockey. 
Uh, I'm not against either of those things at all. I love the uh, the new awareness and initiative uh, by the hockey community uh, to be more inclusive, to be more diverse, to be more equitable, and to be more fair. And but one of the things that was upsetting to me in in in, in while we're transitioning through this new world that we live in with this racial awakening, as I mentioned, nobody was talking about my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ain't that a bitch? <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's like, so like, you can't talk about racism in hockey, period, without bringing up my grandfather. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, when I'm hearing about racism in hockey and, and this is the GTHL, Greater Toronto Hockey League, going through a review process um, and all of these, these, these athletes that were coming out and, and supporting these, these minorities in sport and all these things. And I was just like, how is everybody's talking about racism in hockey, but nobody, no, not one person's talking about my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And then I started to think about um, all of my allies that were reaching out to me about how can they do something more? you know, than just be a non-racist. And I was just like, okay, I can kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, should I create a petition? Should I not? And I forget one of the petitions that I saw. I think it might've been a Brianna Taylor uh, petition on change.org. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I should create one for my, my, my grandfather. And not to draw a comparison between Brianna Taylor and my grandfather, because two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, Brianna Taylor, like that's, I, 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 that's, that's just disgusting and, um, unacceptable that we are still where we at, where we're at right now, uh, without mm-hmm. any of those cops prosecuted. But anyways, I digress. Um, and I was just like, okay, well, this is, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be the only signature on this petition. Uh, I don't know if it's just going to be me and my wife that signed this petition. I don't know if my family, like my mom, my, my aunties, my, my uncle, I don't know if my family's going to be behind this petition, but I was just like, mm-hmm. just like Canada day thinking about my grandfather. And shortly thereafter, I was just like, you want to know what, if I don't do it. And if I don't do it now, like everybody's talking about racism in hockey, this is, this is the time. If not now, then when? And that's what I just kept mm-hmm. on saying to myself, if not now, then when? When is going to be the right time to get my grandfather his just due? When is it going to be the right time for the hockey community to finally realize that there's this big um, asterisk beside the game of hockey with its lack of uh, diversity uh, in the sport? And here's an easy win for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody who knows my grandfather I mean, the NHL itself, every Black History Month, does a, a spiel on all all the networks about Herb Carnegie, greatest hockey player to never play in the NHL, and all this stuff for Black History Month. It's just like, it's like almost laughable that um, my grandfather, who Jean Beliveau considered one of the top 10 greatest hockey players ever, uh, has said that he not only learned from my grandfather, that my grandfather is one of the best hockey players that he ever played with, my grandfather, if given the opportunity, the real opportunity to play in the NHL, there's no doubt in my mind 
that he would not have been an impact player on whatever of the six teams that would have been fortunate enough to have his talents. It's not like he would have been a fringe player, maybe played 10 games in the NHL. No, my grandfather was a three-time MVP in the AHL. And Jean Beliveau is quoted as saying that he learned from my grandfather, as is Frank Mahovlich, quoted as saying he had envisioned himself when he was a young kid playing like my grandfather because he saw my grandfather play when he was a young kid. Wow. So this petition uh, was a way to gift wrap, in my opinion, an opportunity (laughs) to right a real wrong. You really want to show that you're trying to be more equitable, more fair, make real change, change the hockey culture. Well, here is something. My my grandfather's on 13 or 14 different sports hall of fames. Uh, He has a school named after him in Richmond Hill. He has an arena named after him out of Toronto, where a lot of the big hockey is played out of his arena for minor hockey and junior hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've played there actually. He has, he has, the, he has, the, he has the Order of Canada. He has the Order of Ontario. He has the Queen Jubilee. He's an honorary doctor. He has, wow. he's an honorary police chief. But yet, you're still <laughs> systemically not giving him his due mm-hmm. to be included with all of his peers that he revered. He loved those guys mm-hmm. that he played hockey with. But think of all of the times when he had a better record as a minority in the 40s and 50s and watching all of these guys that don't look like him getting opportunities to play in the NHL. Yeah, that's, I I, I honestly cannot, obviously as a white woman living in the 21st century, like I actually cannot imagine, like I'm such a firecracker that I do not know how, like that doesn't, obviously it's so upsetting and so frustrating, but like, I don't, I just don't understand like how, internally um you could cope with that as as just a human being and then and then on top of all that what does he do instead of being disgruntled and bitter he creates the future aces foundation because uh, he didn't want people to go through that. He created the first mm-hmm. registered hockey school in Canada to teach life lessons through the sport of hockey. He he and did I mention that he was blind? He lost his eyesight Wow. He never he never saw me play hockey. I started playing hockey when I was six. He lost his eyesight in the early 90s completely to glaucoma. And still wow. was this uh, humanitarian, uh, like all he did was give and give and give until he couldn't give anymore. And mm-hmm. and why wouldn't you want to have that represented in your in, in hockey's holy grail? Why wouldn't mm-hmm. you want a man of that stature of that character uh, who's never said anything bad about the sport of hockey mm-hmm. other than, you know, that comment that Con Smythe allegedly made, you know, he's, he loved hockey. Hockey was his life, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and he's given so much to this great game of hockey. He opened up doors and avenues for Willie O'Ree for the new HDA for players like me. You know, mm-hmm. if it wasn't for players like my grandfather, who knows if Willie O'Ree would have been given that opportunity a decade later. <laughs> so when I created the petition, it was just to, you know, it was a way for everybody to galvanize around, not knowing how many people would. And now we're at almost 7,000 signatures. Yeah. yeah, so it was actually, that was my next question. So as of, you know, December 2020, where we're at right now, what is uh, kind of the process and 
where are we at with your petition? Yeah, so the petition, we're at almost, I think we're at 67 or 6,800 signatures. Oh, wow. Um, but what's also happened is because of the pandemic that we're in, um, what also happened was uh, there is no induction class for this coming year because they okay. want to give the um, inductees from last year, Jerome McGill and the like, um, they're just due in the, in the limelight. So I okay. am working with another organization called Hockey Fans for Change. Uh, they are trying, they are in the process of gathering 500 letters and testimonials from anybody who wants to support them uh, in that effort uh, in conjunction with the petition. And, and it's our hope that uh, I'm, I, I'm hopeful that my grandfather will get in whenever the NHL or sorry, the, the Hockey Hall of Fame um, resumes, um, mm-hmm. taking applications for potential inductees. Um, but in a perfect world, it would be pretty special if somehow, some way the Hall of Fame would reverse course and make my grandfather the only inductee for this coming year to join mm-hmm. the class of last year. That would be pretty cool to be inducted with Jerome McGillma. Yes, that would be amazing. Uh, I think that's such important work that you're doing. Um, And I think that's such a tangible thing that, you know, when you talk about this, there's just no doubt in my mind um, that this should be righted and that this should be happening. Um, But obviously there's uh, systemic barriers and there's all these things and, uh, and it obviously becomes very frustrating. So uh, my hope is that, and I'm sure uh, you've had so much support on this, uh, and I'm sure it will keep coming. And I hope that, uh, a lot of people submit letters because I think that's an awesome initiative to pair with, uh, the petition. Cause it's just so, I think it just adds so much volume to it, uh, to hear specific people's words, not just a name, let's say, uh, but in conjunction with each other, I think that's so powerful. Um, with that being said, uh, what is the future for you? Like, do you have anything on tap with either own aces or, um, or furthering the petition or like, what are your next steps long and the short of it? Yeah. So, uh, I have been talking with some, um, hockey teams in, uh, the junior leagues. So a couple teams in the Ontario hockey league and the Quebec junior hockey league, um, sharing my experiences and my grandfather's experience, not only in the sport of hockey, but in life and addiction and mental health. Um, I'm working on a few partnerships with some, some organizations um, to uh, further promote, you know, uh, being a, a truth seeker and an authentic person and, and just being a difference maker. Uh, Own Aces is still training athletes. And so I have a group of, of athletes and families that I work with, uh, one being in the basement right now training at my house. Oh, wow. <laughs> After this, so I work with some, some, some athletes uh, on their shooting and agility and things of that nature in my basement, uh, socially distanced, of course, during this pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and then on ice training. And then speaking engagements, I'm looking to talk to corporates, I'm looking to talk to schools, elementary schools, high schools. Um, but obviously this pandemic, uh, you have to be patient uh, and you have to be uh, agile. 
So uh, the future, the future is bright, uh, but it's a little bit contingent on the pandemic. And I think that once we get a handle on this as a society, that you'll be seeing a lot more of me, hopefully. Amazing. That's so exciting. And I'm sure you have such a positive message and such a, um, a strong, like not a wishy-washy, like you just have such a strong message. So I, I think that's so important uh, moving forward. And I think that's something that a lot of places will be looking for as we emerge from this like very bizarre time. So I think that's so important. So I, I commend you for that. And I'm excited to see where that leads you. Uh, so I guess we'll wrap up this portion of your interview. And um, at the end, I always just do some like fun more rapid fire questions. So I hope this doesn't sound like superficial, but it's like a little more fun, lighten things up. Um, So everyone can get on with their, uh, their day, but uh, you have so many interesting things. So this was just like a lot to take in. I can't wait to (laughs) edit it and re-listen to everything that you've said because um, there were such great uh, moments, but yeah, we'll get onto the, the rapid fire questions. So are you ready? I am always ready. Okay, awesome. Um, this is my classic. I ask everyone if you could hang with any five people, who would it be? Oh. It's like a classic like dinner party conversation, but like quarantine. Okay. My grandfather, for sure, because there's so many questions that I wish I would have asked him when he was still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this new path that I'm on, I would I would really appreciate some time back with him. So my grandfather, um, Jimmy Shero, one of my favorite teammates uh, and lifelong brothers, LeBron James, mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, and Kamala Harris. That's a good five. Yeah. Mm, that's a good one. Okay. Uh, I feel like that's such a such a fun group. So <laughs> you could learn a lot from all those people. Uh, <laughs> so next one is what show, if any, are you binging right now? Or like are Scandal. you loving it right now? Scandal. Which one? Oh, Scandal. I just got introduced oh. to it a couple days ago. Oh, okay. And when you say binge, I am a binger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, I just actually finished Trial 4, uh, which okay. is the, um, a limited series on Netflix about a gentleman by the name of Sean Ellis, who was wrongfully uh, convicted of uh, cop killing in Boston. Oh, okay. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, so for those of you who are into crime dramas and conspiracies and all of those things, uh, Trial 4 is well worth the watch. uh, And Scandal uh, seems to be keeping me uh, not talking to my wife and hiding (laughs) from my kids. So Scandal (laughs) Um, right now. What's her name? Olivia? Is it Olivia Pope? Olivia Pope? Yes, it is. Oh, yes. Okay. I watched the first season a while ago, but I'm going to have to get back into that. Oh, um, you're she's miss- such a boss. You are, you are missing out, Olivia. I might have to put uh, Olivia Pope uh, as well. Can we make it a- <laughs> on <laughs> your list? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. She's such a boss. I love her. Yes, um, yeah. So, okay. Our last one. Um, what is your biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve? Oh, man. Uh, chewing with your mouth open. Mm. My wife and her reluctance to 
uh, fill the dishwasher properly. Oh my God. My dad says the same thing about my mom. That's so and, funny. And, and one of my biggest pet peeves is people that don't put the toilet paper roll properly. <laughs> okay. We have to like pull it from behind and under <laughs> instead of pulling like, no, like stop being lazy, <laughs> put the toilet paper roll on properly. My wife, is, so my wife is notorious for that. And, and speaking to the, the five people, I just given it some more thought, the five people that I'd like to have dinner with, would be five members of, of the selection committee for the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I could oh, okay, good correction. over dinner why they have overlooked my grandfather who deserves to be there for so long. Okay, well, you're just having two separate dinner parties. Uh, we can keep your cool one and we can keep your activism one. Um, so, no, that's great. Uh, and I totally relate to those pet peeves too. Um, but anyway, it was so great to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for carving out some time in your schedule and, uh, and, and sharing your story with us. I think it's, it's so important. Um, not only, you know, at a time where these conversations are at the forefront, but I think it's just so important always and I'm always just such a strong advocate for activism and wherever that may fall in your passions uh so thank you for being so involved thank you so much for giving me this opportunity I greatly appreciate it uh, and you're doing a fantastic job so I'm excited to see what your future holds for yourself oh thank you that's so kind very well I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much live goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Oh,